Amen. All right, so we are in James, uh, James chapter four, and just a little reminder. Uh, somebody could turn that air conditioner off, that'll help. But just a little reminder of where we picked up uh, when we, wherever we were on James three, whenever we did. I think it was Wednesday. We were on James three. But if you remember, the end of James three, it talks about how uh, bitter envying and strife. It's not of God, but it's actually earthly, sensual. And devilish. Okay, so it ended kind of talking about fighting, striving. And remember, the book of James, he's writing to the 12 tribes. This is like a revival meeting series of messages trying to just straighten things out in the church. So when we get into chapter 4, he says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your own lust, that war in your members? So just like last week, uh, or, uh, last week or in the last chapter, he was talking about how you know all these things, the envying, the striving amongst each other, it's earthly, it's sensual, it's devilish. Here in chapter 4, he's kind of continuing this thought and he's just showing the origin of these things. Okay? And these, I mean, these truths just are so clear today just like they were 2,000 years ago. This passage, this whole book is just a reminder of how people don't really change. We think things have changed so much just because technology's changed, but you know what? People just don't change. They really don't, and that's why the Bible is always appropriate. It's always suitable for every culture and every situation and every generation. It doesn't need to be rewritten. It doesn't need to be updated. It just always fits. And so this uh, this chapter here, it is it's great for the typical modern day church because you know what? Wars and fightings among God's people is not a rare thing. This happens in the best of churches. You know, you can have just all these internal conflicts that build up that really, I mean, it just, they literally can destroy churches. And so he's saying right here, he wants them to know where these things actually come from. And it, they come from your lust that war in your members. We've got to remember. We, you know, as people, even though we're saved, our bodies are not saved. Our flesh is still bad; it's still wicked, and therefore, there's things we need to prepare ourselves for. And something that you need to understand is, if you're someone who's always in a fight, it's because you have a problem. Okay, it says right here: these wars, the fightings, okay, they come from your own lust. There are some people that just seem to be more prone to getting in fights than other people. You know, I worry about some of these people that you talk to. Have you ever known some, one of these people that they're always telling you about some fist fight they got into? I mean, they get more fist fights than Walker, Texas Ranger. And it's just like, dude, you know, I'm 38. Yeah, I think I'm 38. I don't know how old I am anymore. And I'm like, you know, I... I've only been in a few situations where I thought I might have to take a swing at somebody. Right? You know, it just it doesn't happen that often in the United States, but yet you seem to be getting in fistfights on a regular basis. All right? Now, first off, let me see your knuckles. It doesn't look like you punched anybody. All right? But second of all, I just don't believe you. You're just all talk. But if you're really getting in that many fights, you probably have a problem. It's, and the truth is, most of the fights that we get in, in churches are not fistfights, although that happens. I've heard I've heard many stories about that. Uh, I know of a church. I know the pastor, and he his his son told me all about it. I remember I won't name any names, but his son told me all about this huge fight they had in their church during a basketball game. 
They were playing each other in a basketball game, and it turned into a brawl. And he's telling me all about this, and he's like, I'm not supposed to be telling people about this. You know, my dad brought it before the church, and they dealt with everything, and they said it's done. We're not supposed to talk about it anymore. But he wanted to tell me about it. Well, then later, my uncle told me about it, too. <laughs> I just told him who it was. But anyway, scratch that, what I just said at the end. I just kind of revealed it. But I remember he told me, he told me about the situation. This was years ago. I'm sure they've gotten over it. But it was just so funny because it's like it's a basketball game. You know, why would you get in a fist fight over a basketball game? You know why? Because pride. You know, there's this, we can't stand to lose. We just have that sin nature. And, you know, and everybody, you know, gets in, you know, they lose their temper at some point. But some people do it all the time. Some people, they're in the center of every problem in the church. There's some people, there, you know, I've had coworkers that are at the center of every problem. When I was in Spring Valley, at the distribution center out there, there was one guy who was always getting in fights with people all the time. And he was, all, he was so good at getting people in trouble. Finally, he messed with the wrong guy. There was one guy out that I worked with out there who was literally the nicest guy in the building. He used to convict me because the guy had like the best testimony in the place and he wasn't even saved. And didn't even claim to be a Christian, yet he was just the most nice, meek, nice, meek, I mean, just kind individual. And this one guy was messing with him, and he got mad and he cussed at him. And so the guy went and told on him. And he that guy got in trouble. And I was like, you know what? That's it. I went to the manager and I said, Listen, I said, You know I got I don't think people ought to be cussing, but you're really going to let him get in trouble for cussing this guy? I said, and I went and I started naming all these people. I said, let me just name a few people who have steps right now. And I started naming out which a step is one of the disciplinary things they do out there. If you're not familiar with Walmart, I named off all these people. I said, what is it that they all have in common with their steps? Who did their conflict involve? It was the same guy every time. Every time it was the same guy that knew how to push people's buttons. He was a master of this. And I told him, I said, you know what? If you want to get somebody in trouble, it needs to be him. And I, went, I told the other, some of my other coworkers, I said, you know what? We need to stick up for these guys that are getting in trouble over him. And they did. They all went. And a lot of people stuck up for him. And they actually took away the step that they gave him. And it wasn't long after that that other guy got fired. Because it was, just, it was so obvious. He was always the one that you know, had the problem. And you know what? When there's ten conflicts in a church and there's one person that seems to be the epicenter of all that, guess who the problem is? It's that one person. And you know what? That kind of thing goes on in church too. There's always one person that seems to be the center of everything. And you know what? Thankfully, we don't have anybody here like that, but I'm all for throwing people like that out. You know, I, I think people like that need to get thrown out of churches. And too often, everybody tries to put up with them. These people are smart. They know what lines that they can't cross. You know, they and they know how to push people's buttons. I remember I told one of the men in my dad's church he was doing a really big thing in the church. It was a really big project. It was going to be a huge blessing to the church. And I remember I went and told him, I said, Listen, just so you know, you know, you're about to use a great gift that God has given you to be a huge blessing to the church. But I said, Just so you know, there's other people in our church who have the gift of running their mouth and saying the worst possible thing 
at the worst possible time. And I said, just be ready. The devil's going to use these people to, I mean, really get you down. And, you know, and he's like, oh, I know, I'm ready for it and everything. Well, sure enough, he's doing the work. He's doing a great thing. And then here comes, you know, these certain gifted individuals to run their mouth. And you know what? <laughs> he ended up quitting and leaving the church. It's just like, man, I, I warned you. I told you exactly what was going to happen. I knew, I, you know, I've been in that church for 20 years. I knew, I knew what people were going to do before they did it. And sure enough, it happened. And you know what? Unfortunately, things have not changed in 2,000 years. We have, you know, the wars, the fightings, they come from our own lust that war in our members. Look what it says in verse 2. It says, Ye lust and ye have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Okay? It's the lust of the flesh that causes us to fight in war. Every, we do anything we can. We'll do everything we can to fulfill our desires. But really, the Bible's saying right here, what you just need to do is you just need to ask. All right, what is it that you know? What is it that these people are wanting in church? Why is it that somebody's always going to you know want to pick fights in the church? You know why? It's usually a fight for some kind of position. They want to fight for some kind of recognition. You know, they just want to have that that place in the church. They want you know they want the attention or whatever. But it's like you know what? Most people who do that fighting, they never even asked to be put in that position. You know, why did the pastor give this person the job? He should have given me the job. Well, I'm sorry, you didn't ask. You know, I'm sorry, I didn't know that you wanted to do this. Why does pastor always use this person for this? Why does he ever use me? Maybe it's because you never asked. You know, and they do. They just always are sitting around waiting to get appointed to some position. And often people use the verse, you know, you have not because you ask not for prayer with God. And I think that's fine too. I think that's I think that's appropriate. But you know, I think you can apply this in church too. There's been many times. When people I have found out were like offended because they were not asked to do something, and it's like I had no idea you wanted to do it. I would have loved to have had you do this, you know. But I, I had I had no idea. And many people, the reason they don't ask is they have too much pride. They're afraid they might get shut down, so they just kind of sit around waiting for stuff. And you know what? I think with prayer, many people it's like they have too much pride to just pray. They're not willing to humble themselves and ask God and to make themselves dependent on God for something. So they don't want to ask. Where The truth is, God wants us to ask for these things we want. Whatever that desire is that you have, whatever that, you know, wherever it is you feel like you need to find fulfillment, okay? whether it be a position, whether it be a specific work, you know what? Why don't you just go ahead and ask God for that opportunity? Make yourself dependent on Him and you may be surprised at what you'll get as a result of it. We've got to learn to go to God for the things we need. Because remember in James 1, verse 5, He said, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. And I'm not going to preach this again, but throughout the Bible, it is constantly emphasized that we should be praying. God wants us asking for things. He wants us doing it over and over again. He wants us being annoying. I mean, he, He's given us parables trying to show how important it is we ask for things. And you know what? We've got people today, the reason that they are such miserable wretches in church and causing wars and causing problems is because they're getting no fulfillment in the things that, where they need fulfillment. 
And you know where they need to be? They could be getting that fulfillment if they would just go to the Lord and ask. And they don't ask. They walk into church and they just have this attitude, I'm not getting fed. I'm not, I'm just not getting what I seem to want from this church. Well, here's my question. What do you want? You know, what are you looking for? It's amazing how many people come into church with that attitude. I don't know, I just, I just don't seem to be getting anything. Well, what are you coming to get? Do you even know? You know, and truth is, many people, they just don't know. And truth is, if you need something, if you want something, you need to actually ask for it. And so, look at what it says in verse 3. It says, well, I've asked for things before and I didn't get what I wanted. You know, I needed a million dollars. I needed to win the lottery. You know, I, I needed, you know, my next door neighbor to drop dead. You know, I mean, whatever. You know, you, you, those are the kind of things you're asking for. But it says, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. Okay? And that word amiss, it means you know, wrong or faulty or out of order. There's some things you shouldn't ask for. You know? Well, you're supposed to go to the Lord for whatever you want. Well, you know, I want my neighbor's wife. Well, I'm sorry, the Bible says that, you know, you're not allowed to have your neighbor's wife. You know? Well, I want my neighbor's car. I want, you know. No. There's certain things it is out of line for us to ask. It is inappropriate for you to ask. And so most people have this attitude, well then. What's the point of prayer? You know, if praying is asking for things, but if I'm not allowed to get the things that I actually want, what is the point? And see, right there, this is where you know the name it and claim it people like coming to James chapter four. They love using these verses of just name it, claim it, you know, whatever you want, you're going to get. If you don't get it, it's because you didn't have enough faith. But they forget about the James one. They forget about the chapters before we get to four that remind us how we ought to have that desire to be like Christ. That we ought to be uh, somebody who, you know, we're fine with temptation because it makes us more like Christ. We got to remember, you know, this is five chapters. It's all one, right? It was a few weeks ago when we talked about James one, but I talked about, I showed you in there how it should be the goal. It should be our desire to be like Christ. That's ultimately what we're shooting for is being like Christ. Okay? That's one of the reasons we come here as a church and we hear the preaching of the Word of God. We're wanting to learn what we need to do to be more like Christ. But it's real easy for us to get in the flesh, even in church, and to come just hoping to fulfill the desires of our flesh. But that is not why we are here. Once again, it's been established that we are here because we're trying to be more like Christ. So, when he's talking about praying here and asking things, okay, it's clearly spiritual things he's talking about. Not carnal things. See, many people, they doubt this because they're always praying for carnal things. And the thing is, the prosperity preachers, they will go to James 4 and use these verses to get people to pray for the carnal things. But if we look at what we've been talking about throughout the book of James, we're seeing how we're trying to be more like Christ. If we're actually trying to be more like Christ, then why would we be shooting for the carnal things? Did Jesus have a lot of carnal things when He was here on this earth? Did Jesus have a big fancy house? Did He have a nice, you know, nice fancy donkey to, to ride on? You know, did He have the luxuries of this world? No, He didn't have any of those things. And yet, Christians today are coming to church hoping they can figure out the secrets to getting all the things that they want for their flesh. When the whole point of coming to church is we're trying to be more like Christ, 
The reason your prayer is never going to answer is you're praying for the wrong things. So here we are, and think about this too, alright? God's desire is for us to become more like Him. Right? Here we are as a church. One of our purposes is to teach you all to observe all things whatsoever He commanded. Okay? So you come in here and you say that your goal is to be like Christ, but yet you come in here and then you start praying for things that will make you more carnal and that will make you less like Christ. Now, let me ask you, why would God answer that prayer? Why would you think that that prayer is going to get answered? What makes you think God is obligated in any way to answer that prayer? Okay, He's not. Once again, if that's your thinking, you are here for the wrong reasons. You have forgotten what James 4 is all about and what the book of James is all about. And so these prosperity preachers that get up and tell you, you know, you want to go on these luxury vacations, you know, you want to go on that luxury cruise, you know, you just need to pray. But don't forget to show your faith by sending us a check. You know, they always got to throw that thing in there too. But that, once again, we're defeating the purpose. We're now taking things, we're asking things that are going to make us less like Christ. And so, the, but, you know, once again, people are like, well, this is what I desire. This is what I want. This is what will bring me fulfillment. But we've got to remember, we only think that we know what we want. We only think that. The truth is, our flesh is a liar. And it does not know what we want. And we ought to know that. And so look what he says in verse 4. He says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So here we are. The book of James is trying to tell us how we can be more like Christ. You know, he in James one, I mean, he's talking about. You know, we ought to be happy about temptation. You know, these are these are good things that are going to make us more like Christ. This is the mindset. This is the goal. He gets to chapter four, and he's telling him, listen, if you're going to be like the world, you're going to be at enmity with God. There's going to be a hostility between you and God. You're working against each other. Okay? And yet, people today are taking James chapter 4 when it talks about you have that because you ask not and using it as a motivator to try to help people get their carnal things that will make them less like Christ. How does that make sense? How does that fit the context of the Bible? And what's so sad, these guys, people, they hear these pre these sermons... They go praying for things, convinced that they're going to get it, and then they don't get it. And what do they do? They doubt the Bible. Okay? So now, let's think about this for a minute. What if we prayed for the things that we're actually supposed to pray for that James is actually talking about? Now, what do you think would happen if you prayed, Lord, help me be more like You? Okay? I actually think you probably would answer that because here's probably what would happen. You're probably going to have some temptation sent your way. You're probably going to be tried. You might receive some persecution. You might face some things like Jesus faced which will you know, make you more like Him. You, so, you know what our problem is? We know God will answer those prayers, don't we? You know, Lord, help me, you know, help me to be stronger. Lord, Help me to learn more. Well, the problem is, if we pray those things, God's going to... You know, Lord, please give me direction in life. We don't want to pray that prayer because we know exactly what He's going to do. He's going to say, okay, start reading your Bible. 
Okay, start praying more. Okay, start going to church. He, you know exactly what He's going to tell you if we actually prayed for the things that James is talking about that we should pray for, don't we? And so, the truth is, we have not because we ask not. You know why you're not like Christ? You're not asking to be like Christ. You know why you're not growing spiritually? You're not asking if you can grow spiritually. You're not asking for the things. You're taking this verse and you're being like Robert Tilton and you're just praying for you know luxury cars and things. That is not what it's about. You miss the point. You ask the miss trying to consume it on your own lust. And you know what? You are an adulterer, an adulteress spiritually because you're just trying to be like the world. Those are the things that the world goes after. To, you know, to find fulfillment. They think that money and that the pleasures of this earth will bring them happiness. That's what they think. And there you are, a child of God, I mean the espoused bride of Christ, and you're out there flirting with the world. What's wrong with you? That is not what we're all about. So we got to remember, God put us here for His pleasure, not our pleasure. We're here for His purpose. And we talk, as we talk about in chapter 1, our desire that is of what we should be asking for is to be like God. That's what we should be asking. That's what we should be desiring to be like God. James 4 in no way is trying to teach a name and claim it theology. The reason Robert Tilton uses this passage is because it fits with what he's trying to tell you. But if anybody in his audience knew the rest of the book of James... Nobody would be dumb enough to think what he's talking about is going to work. But it's worked for him for getting money. And that's why guys like him are millionaires. So, look at verse 5. It says, Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw an eye to God, and He will draw an eye to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Okay. So now let's think about the context of these verses right here. He's been talking about how you're not getting what you're asking for because you're not asking for the right things. You're trying to ask for things to just fulfill the lust of your flesh. The lust of your flesh is bad. The lust of your flesh will not make you more like Christ. It will make you less like Christ. If you're a friend of the world, you're going to be at enmity with God. So what is it that we actually need to do? Alright, because we got a problem here. Here I am. I'm Mr. Carnal Christian. I want stuff. Okay? I want the things of this world, but you know what? I'm double-minded. I'm saved. I have the Spirit of God in me, and so there's a part of me that wants to be like Christ too. But I just can't get past all this this stuff that I want. I am convinced that these things will make me happy. So you know what I'm supposed to do in that situation when we've got a conflict. We're at a crossroads now. All right, we got the pleasures of this world over here. We've got the will of God over here that doesn't really look that fun. You know what? We I now have to. Make a choice. And if I follow the Lord, then I'm going to have to humble myself in doing that. I'm going to have to admit, you know what, Lord? I think you know better than I do. 
You know, I think you know what I need and even what I want more than I know what I want. That takes some humility. Just like a child, okay? Do children not often have, you know, is there not often a conflict between the parent and the child as for what's good for it? I mean, that's a daily thing that you fight as a parent raising kids. You know, the kids are convinced that it's healthy and it's good to stay up late, you know, drink a Mountain Dew, you know, eating sugar, you know, watching television all night, playing video games. And they're convinced of that, right? But, you know, as parents, you're like, no, you guys don't need to be doing that. You know, you need to go to bed a decent hour. You, need, you know, you don't need to be rotting your brain and all the video games and things all day. You know, you're, you're, and so we have a conflict. And isn't it kind of, it is humbling as a child to a certain extent to have to listen to your parents. And is it not worse as you get older? You know, when you're three and your parents tell you how to go to, you know, tell you to go to bed, you know, it's, it is what it is, you know. You don't really think much of it. But you know what? They start getting older, don't they? You know, they become teenagers. What? Yeah. And you can't tell me when to go to bed. Uh, well, actually, I can. It's my house, you know. I'm the, I'm the parent. But you know, the older your kids get, the more it takes to humble themselves, okay? Tommy, you know, he's still, even, you know, it's, it's still not super hard for him to humble himself. I know he's got a driver's license. I know he's got a job, but it's not a great job. And he's still a minor, okay? He can't just go out and rent an apartment and just do whatever he wants. And technically, his truck is in my name. Even though I sold it to him, I never signed the title over to him. So if there's a conflict, the law is going to be on my side, all right? He's just, <laughs> so, so I mean, you know, you know, I could say I could call the police and say he stole my car, and we did no paperwork on that transaction. But he'll probably try to use this video now as proof. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but I'm giving him ideas. But but anyway, you know, pretty soon he's going to turn 18. Pretty soon, legally, he could go do whatever he wanted. And as I say, said before, I'll say it again: we live in America. When he turns 18. He could go out and start wearing dresses and go get turned into a girl if he wanted to. And I can't stop it. You know, there, there, legally there would be nothing I legally there would be nothing I could do. Illegally, you might you know, I got a few ideas. You know, he could go out and marry a dude if he wanted to at eight, you know, at eighteen. But you know what? When he hits that age, obeying his father will take some humility, won't it? And that actually takes humility. That you know, because now he is submitting. In other words, you know, he is choosing to follow my leadership when I can't make him do it. You know, and that takes humility. And you know what? God does not physically make us do things. God does not force us to be more like Him. He has given us a free will. And you know what? We, we do. We have those desires of the flesh that are out there. We're like, you know what? I'm convinced that will make me happy. But the Lord has said, no, going this direction will make you happy. And what we have to do as Christians, and it can be difficult because we're adults. We're grown up. We think we know what we want for ourselves, but it actually takes humility to say, you know what? I'm going to reject what I want. I'm going to forsake my will and I'm going to follow the will of God. That takes humility right there. It takes faith. The world's not going to back you up when you do those things. You're not going to be praised by the world when you do that. You know, and what, you know, I like watching some of these ninja warrior things and uh, you know, 
stuff like that. I, I've always thought that was pretty cool. But one thing that has just ruined those shows is the stories behind the contestants. I hate it. It's always a victim. You know, everybody's a victim. And some of these people, they've never had anything bad physically happen to them in their life. And it's all, my second cousin's grandma died of cancer, you know, and so I'm a victim because that, it's every, they always do the sob stories. As my kids, I hate the sob stories before the contestants. I want to just watch them do cool stuff, all right? I don't care about the stinking sob stories. And we were watching a show kind of like one of those Ninja Warriors, and the girl gets on there, and her sob story was she came from a really conservative Christian family, and she was never allowed to play in sports. She had to wear skirts all the time. And I'm like, that's the sob story? And then the, the announcers, while she's like doing her thing, are just talking about all that she's overcome. <laughs> I'm thinking, what? She grew up, she had it made. She grew up in a Christian home and with a conservative family that taught her the right way. But they're talking about, like, oh, she's a fighter. She's an overcomer. Because her parents made her act like a lady. I'm like, that is the worst sob story I've heard yet. I mean, she had it made. And they were talking about, like, it was a sob story. It was, it was hilarious. But, you know, I mean, but that's the thing. Everybody thinks that. Their life, you know, it's, it's so tough being a Christian, but no, you're better off if you do the things of God. But it does. It takes some humility to submit to the will of God. And so many people, they struggle with that today. But, you know, we've got to remember that our flesh, it goes against God. But if we're, if we're willing to submit to Him and follow Him, you know what He does? He gives us grace. He gives us that unmerited favor. And we're always going to mess up. We're always going to make mistakes. But if we are actively pursuing the will of God, doing our best to follow Him, and being humble about it, you know what? God's going to give us grace. But you know what? He resists the proud. He's actually working against those who have pride. So if I go and I say, you know what, Lord? I know better than you. I'm going to go over this direction and I'm going to try to fulfill the lust of my flesh. I'm going to do what I think is best. Now I've got God working against and I don't need God working against me. He's going to win in that battle. So you know what I just need to do is I just need to say, you know what, forget it. I'm going to do what I want. So you submit to God. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you, it says. He will flee from you when you're resisting him. Why is that? What, why, can anybody think of why the devil would ever be scared of us? All right. I'll tell, you, cause I'll tell you why he's scared of us. is because if we're actually resisting Him, you know what that tells me? You're in the will of God. If you're in the will of God, you've got God now in your corner. The devil can't handle God. You're, you're a piece of cake. okay? But not when you have God on your side. And that's why we ought to always be resist, uh, resisting Him. And when we do, He'll flee from us. It says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. And just as it can be humiliating, and I was there, you know, I was there at 19 and 20 and still have to listen to my dad. You know, I didn't like it. When my wife and I were dating, I'd go over to her house and her mom could tell me when to leave. That's pretty humiliating. I'm 20 years old. We're engaged. And you're going to tell me when to go home? Yeah, she did. She told me when to go home, you know. Now, could my wife and I have just ran off and eloped legally? Yes, but you know what we did? We humbled ourselves and submitted. Okay. Now I didn't go and advertise at work. You know that my future mother-in-law could tell me when to go home. 
But what do you think my coworkers would have done back then if they'd have known <laughs> that my mother-in-law could talk, or future mother-in-law? Man, they would have made fun of me so bad. But you know what? I just didn't tell them about it. But, but at the same time, is that not humbling? And boy, was it great when we finally got married. And we didn't have to listen to the parents anymore. You know, I didn't, you know, her, her stepdad gave her away. Now she is mine, and I'm not listening to my mother-in-law about anything since then. And she hasn't tried to tell me what to do. But I w- even if she did, I wouldn't listen. But, but, um, but right now, that we, do, we need to humble ourselves on the side of the Lord. If we would humble ourselves and follow after God, I believe He would change our desires and we would have fulfillment. He would give us fulfillment. Okay, because once again, we've got to learn our flesh wants all the wrong things. It says in verse 11, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? So this passage right here, it's not meant to teach that we're not allowed to judge anything. Okay, Remember, we're supposed to judge righteous judgment. In fact, Pastor Hart, when he was here last week, that was a great message that he preached on judging. Judging to know good and evil. You know, And I like the illustration he gave of the judge not and everybody wants to scribble the rest of the passage out of the Bible. You know, that was a very good message. Uh, that goes right along with this. There are, you know, this passage is, it's not just another blanket judge not for the people that don't want to be judged about anything. We are to judge righteous judgment. But remember, this passage is about wars and fighting that's going among the brethren. And what is it that we always do when we start fighting with the brethren? When these wars uh, go on? You know what we do? We like to start judging their thoughts. Okay? You know, maybe you know, Mrs. So and so she gets to sing in the church when you wanted to sing. So what do you start doing? You're mad because you wanted that spot, you wanted to be the singer, you wanted to do the special, but she got to instead. So what do you start doing? You start judging her thoughts. She just wanted to sing to show off. You know, she just wants to you know, because she's you know, she's just full of pride and she's arrogant. We start judging these things. Somebody else in the church is doing some kind of job in the church. They're doing, they're doing some event. We start judging their motives. We start, that type of judging is wrong. And that type of judging is absolutely stupid. You accomplish nothing with that. Okay? And you know what? Kids do that with each other, don't they? Your kids ever, you know, judge what their brothers and sisters are thinking? They do that. You know, my kids do that all the time. You know, I mean, I mean, I've had my kids before, you know, dad, you know, Allie thinks this, or, you know, it's like, Really, you can read her mind. You know, I'm supposed to give her a spanking for a thought that you read in her head. No, it just makes me so mad because she thinks. You know, he thinks. You know, my kids. My kids have done that. So, my my kids the only ones that done that. No, all right, good. I I thought maybe I was doing something wrong. That's what they do all the time. When I was when I was teaching the school, kids would do that all the time. They get mad about something that people were thinking. Okay, what are they doing? These wars, this fighting that's going on, it's causing them to judge things that is not righteous judgment. That is not their place to judge. It is not your job to judge what is going through the head of somebody else in the church. 
If somebody else is doing a work, it is not your job to even judge how they are doing that work. It is not your job to judge the piano player and how she plays the piano when she's the one doing it. That's not your job. You haven't given the place to judge that. That is not righteous judgment. You know why you are judging that? Because you want to be the one doing that. You want to be the one in that role. And so now, you're going to start judging their motives. You're going to start judging the thing. Well, I don't like the way they played the piano right there. I bet they listen to this type of music. I bet they do. And we start just judging all these things. That it is That type of judging is bad. And that type of thing goes on in churches and it can get out of hand really fast. So we've got to watch out for that stuff. So we're going to remember in chapter 3, remember what it said too? In chapter 3, it said that we should not be anxious, you know, to be the judge of everything. You know, my brother, be not many masters. Okay? We'll receive the greater condemnation. When you're the leader, when you're the one in charge, there's a great responsibility that goes with that that can ultimately get you in more trouble. So you shouldn't be going out there seeking to be the leader, seeking to be the one in charge and the one in control. He said, if that position is given to you, if it's something that you actually should be doing, you know, then take that responsibility. But you shouldn't just be anxious to be in charge. And that's what we talked about before. And many people, they're just so anxious to be that person in leadership or wherever that they, they are the lust of just having that attention, that power, whatever you think it is, it causes them to start judging things that they have no business judging. They're judging the hearts of people. They're judging the actions, the thoughts, things that were they, they, they can't even possibly know. So look what it says in verse 3. Because or, or verse 13. Before we get to 13, we need to remember too, in chapter 3, you know, we're not, we weren't supposed to be judge, anxious to be the judge of everything, but here's why many people want to be that judge. Okay? Many people want to be the judge because they think, then I will be able to fulfill the lust of my flesh. I remember when I was a kid, I, I, I'll never forget this, when I was, it was when President Reagan went and he was giving his final address to the American people. My dad, you know, he loved President Reagan. And I remember he was so sad when President Reagan was leaving office. And I remember saying, Dad, he's the president. Why doesn't he just keep on being the president? You know, I didn't understand how the system worked at that time. I was like, he's the president. He's the guy on top. He can do whatever he wants to do. You know, I, I didn't understand how it all worked. And, you know, when I was a kid, I, you know, I remember thinking, you know, I wish I could be the president. You know, because if I was the president... You know, I would abolish school. You know, I would, you know, I, I would come up with all these things that I would do if I were president. And I mean, how many of you before have ever said, I wish I was president? And then usually the next thing that comes out of your mouth is, so I could give myself what I wanted. Now, I understand that's what all our politicians are doing, all right? But that's not what they're supposed to do. That's why all these, you know, polit career politicians, you know, go into office, you know, just making regular money and come out millionaires. Okay, yes, that is what they are doing, but that's not how it's supposed to be done. But the reason many people want these positions is not because they have this burning desire to help and make the world a better place. They're thinking, if I had this position, I could do whatever I want. I wish I was a pastor in the church because if I was a pastor in the church, you know what? I bring in the Southern Gospel music. I bring in the soundtracks. I bring in the purple lights. You know, I bring in all these things you know, that appeal to my flesh. These things that I want. 
you know, I wish I was the pastor of the church because if I was the pastor of the church, we'd do this, we'd have this activity, we, you know, there's just all these things, and it's always less of the flesh. You know, it's not always, I wish I could be pastor so I could go soul hunting more. Why would you say that? You can still, you can go soul hunting all you want. Even you're not a pastor. People often are saying, I want these positions because then I could fulfill the lust of my flesh. That is not what we're supposed to be doing. That kind of thing is dangerous. And many people today, because they do, because they have that desire for power, they are anxious to be the master, like it said we shouldn't do in chapter 3. They just sit around stewing at other people getting what they think they want. And they start judging things and causing conflict in the church. And that type of thing is wicked. So look what it says in verse 13. It says, Go to now ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Notice how these people are talking about how these are my plans. This is what I think I'm going to do. This is, you know, you have people that start churches, okay? That thinking, you know, I'm going to go start a church and I'm going to do this and this is going to happen. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And it's like they boast in these things. They're boasting in their dreams and their desires that they have. And it's saying right here in the Bible that you know what? Your life is just a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. You know, we shouldn't be going and coming into church seeking after these positions, you know, just so we can fulfill these dreams that we have. And there's nothing wrong with having dreams and wanting to do big things for God. But you know what we really should be saying? is if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. You know, it's okay for you to say, you know what, if it's God's will, I hope that you know this becomes the biggest church in Whiteside County. It's okay for us to have you know. Now, should we go boasting? Should I get up and say, you know, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, what's going to happen with this church. Five years, we're going to be the biggest church in Whiteside County. I guarantee it. I mean, I'm the pastor. You all are the members. Nothing can stop us, you know. I mean, that, that's you know, hey, that kind of boasting, all right, that rejoicing, it says, is evil. Okay, why is why do I want to be the biggest? All right, well, because then I w- we would be the biggest. All right, number one, right? Isn't that what we're seeking for? But you know, really, the truth is, if it's God's will for us not to be the biggest, we should be fine with that too, as long as we're just doing what we're supposed to do. On a day-to-day basis, that should be, you know, that should be our goal. Our goal shouldn't be to just reach this, you know, milestone, this numeric milestone that we could all point to and say we accomplished. Because the truth is, if it is God's will for us five years from now to be the biggest church in Whiteside County, then you know how we get to that point is by being in God's will today. And so what we ought to be saying is, hey, are we in God's will today? We don't need to be boasting on things in the future that we're not sure about. We ought to just be saying, you know what, if it's the Lord's will, that's where we'll be. You know, I, and at the end of the day, if our mindset's right, we're not really going to care what's down the road five years from now. We're going to be too busy concentrating on, am I in God's will today? 
And that should be the goal and the desire. We have no business boasting in, in these things. We don't know what's going to be in tomorrow. We don't know what might change. A lot of things could happen you know, in the next five years. So you know what? We're not just going to try to map everything out and then do whatever we got to do to make that plan come for, to fulfillment. We're going to just focus on the will of God for right now. That's what we're going to do. So we should not boast. We shouldn't take confidence. We should never be confident in anything other than Jesus Christ. He needs to be our source of comfort. So in too many people, they've put way too much confidence in themselves, in their careers, whatever. But And that is not what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to, we should only boast in Jesus Christ. You know what? We ought to have the attitude, you know what? Five years from now, I mean, the economy could tank. Five years from now, I mean, if I don't stay in the will of God today, I could be out of the will of God. I could be out of the ministry. I mean, I am capable of a lot of bad things. And you know what? But one thing I can boast about and I can be confident is that five years from now, God will still be good. Jesus Christ will still be on the throne. And all I need to worry about is today and doing His will today. I don't need to worry about what's down the road five years from now. Jesus has gotten that taken care of. I just need to worry about what I'm supposed to do today and I'll just boast in Him. Either way, God is good. Nothing can change that. So verse 17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Okay, And this is, this is a very... Just this verse by itself is a common one used that I think it's appropriate to use in a lot of different things. You know, If I know... You know, we often think of sins as things that we do. You know, there's the sins of commissions that we commit and sins of omission, things that we don't do. Okay? If we know we're supposed to read our Bible and we don't read our Bible, even though we didn't do anything, we sin by not reading our Bible, didn't we? Okay? But when this verse is said, you know, it's specifically, I believe, you know, talking about the things that we've been talking about up to through James chapter 4. Okay? If we're not making ourselves more like Christ and we know we should be doing that, we're sinning. You know, if we're not, you know, humbling ourselves, if we're not submitting ourselves to the will of God when we know we should, when we know better, that's a sin. These things are sin. We know better. There's a lot of people that, most people in this world today that are seeking after the things and the possessions of this world. They are doing it in an honest way, thinking that will make them happy. They don't know any better. They've not seen the truth. I don't necessarily think that God is looking at them and thinking, boy, what a terrible sin that they went out and bought that bass boat. They was convinced we're going to make them happy. All right? You know, I'd like to think that was. Those people that remember that boat we saw this afternoon, I hope those people are in sin. You know, but no, no, I'm just kidding. They better get judged for God for having a boat that nice when I haven't had one. <laughs> that was a really cool boat. But anyway, I'm, I'm only joking about that. But, you know, here, here's the thing. If I'm going after something like that, you know, if I'm out there knocking doors and I'm seeing somebody drive up with a super nice boat, you know, on a Sunday, and I'm like, you know what? I was at church this morning. I'm out souling this afternoon and I'm going to go to church tonight and I'm going to wake up in the morning and I can't afford to get a boat and go out fishing on the river. I quit. You know, I'm going and I'm going to go concentrate on my career and making money so I can go get a boat like that. 
Now, who do you think God's going to be more mad at? Those people that probably don't know any better, probably Catholics, like everybody was Catholic on that street today, or me. I'm in bigger trouble for that kind of thing because you know what? I know better than that. I know better than to know that a boat is not the source of happiness. I guess. I, I, I know better than those things. And yet, I still go and I pursue that. I reject the will of God after all that God has done for me, after all that God has shown me. That would be a great sin for me to do that kind of thing. Well, I'm not doing anything. I just quit going to church. Well, but you know you should be in church. You are sinning by what you are not doing in that situation. So the lust of this world, you know, the lust of the flesh, they are all the sources of the problems in this world. That's what people are fighting. Why do you think we fight the wars in our nation? We fight it for oil. We fight it for food. We fight it for money. It's always motivated by money. Why? It's, it's about the lust of the flesh. And you know what? The devil could take a day off. I believe, I, I believe if the devil wanted to, he could take a week off. And you know what? Our world would still be a wreck. Because you know what? We've got the world, we've got the flesh, and we've got the devil. And if the devil took a week off, we'd still be fighting because we still have the lust of the flesh. We still have those things, and so we would still, we'd still make a mess. But it's important that we recognize this enemy. This enemy of our flesh. And we need to do what we can to defeat them in our lives. Why? Because if we can defeat our flesh, we can be more like Christ. That is the goal. And when you hear that verse, all right, this is what I want you to. If you don't get anything from this lesson, I want you to get this. All right, I want to try to burn something in your brain right now. Okay, when you hear that verse, you have not because you ask not. Okay, most people, when you hear that, you automatically think of money, you know, things, and then you go ask for it. No, no, no. Next time you hear that verse, think. I have that because I ask not. In other words, I don't have or I'm not more like Christ. I'll let that go through your head. Don't think about the thing that you don't have because you didn't ask for it. Think about the fact that you're not as much like Christ as you should be. And then think, I have not because I ask not. Think about that. And you know what? Some of you are probably not going to ask to be like Christ. You know why? Because you're pretty sure if you ask Him for that, He's going to give that to you. And you know you might not like, your flesh is probably not going to like the form that it's going to come in. Just like we don't always want to go to the doctor because we know He's probably going to tell us something that we don't want to hear. He's probably going to tell us we have to take something we don't want to take. He's going to have to cut something out of us we don't want cut out of us. So we don't want to go and ask because we're pretty sure what He's going to tell us is not going to go according to our flesh. And that's why many people today, they are not going to ask. The reason they have not is because they ask not and they ask not because their flesh says, I guarantee I'm not going to like what He says. And you know what? Your, your flesh is probably right. But that's where you say, you know what, flesh, you're not in charge. Who cares what you think? You know what? I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And you know what? That takes humility right there, but God will bless that. So, With that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank You so much for Your Word. Help us, Lord, to ask for these things that we're supposed to. Help us not to ask amiss. Help us to ask for the things that You want us to ask for, knowing, Lord, that You will help us with these things. And so, Lord, I pray that 
uh, as a result of this message, people will take this to heart. They will practice it. They will ask. And so we will become more like You. In Your name we pray. Amen.